Hey, everybody, welcome to You Had Me at Bigfoot. I'm not going to do a whole lot of uh, talking up about myself here because I know you didn't come here to see me. We have, obviously, me on uh, on for today as a facilitator of sorts to hand you off to uh, who you actually came to see. We also have V, our my friend and yours. V? Hello. Okay, I thought you were going to, like, hang up on me at the last possible second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, screw this, I'm out. Uh, can everybody at home hear? I don't know if uh, you guys can hear V uh, on the Can you hear me now? If you could let me know in the chat, which I'll be monitoring while Dave does his thing. Dave, and I just I totally spoiled the surprise for those of you who didn't know. Uh, Dave Outlandish is on the call today, and uh, he's going to be talking about some uh, pretty interesting stuff that I think uh, it's a theory that, I, as I announced earlier the other day, uh, that many of you probably not heard about or uh, I know we've never talked about it on here it's not a popular theory in that I have not heard it elsewhere so I'm actually very interested he's going to be doing a, a little lecture on something that he calls the non-mystical uh, methodology for modeling paranormal and demonic experiences Dave if you want to say hi to the audience hi hail I'm here Dave Outlandish, what up? <laughs> you may remember him from such gems as you had me. Mm. <laughs> what, were, what were the other ones called? You had me at a wizard. Uh, something about demons, fucking you, demons, something. Yep, yep, yep. You had me at uh, succubus waifu. Um, everybody, that's what everybody asked for. Everybody asked that. That's what they all asked for. And you can't really blame them, though. You know, you, you hear so much about on, uh, you know, I know I hear a lot about it on Twitter about the uh, the big titty goth uh, mm. girlfriend, right? And that's uh, called you out about that on on Instagram not too long ago because Dave's out here turning uh, turning good girls bad. As the, There's a song about that, I think. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm here to talk about, okay, so... I guess the 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 theory that I, that we're talking about here is that this is an atheistic perspective on because you know how on your other two shows I always used to say, and I said this a couple times, it's either invisible spirit monsters or it's a psychosomatic experience, right? Yes. So the theory is it's a psychosomatic experience. That's the theory we're working with here, and so to start to test this theory and to look examine this theory. We need to create models around this theory. So this is a model based on the theory that the demonic experience is a psychosomatic one. And this is a model that could be used to model and and interact with the demonic ex the paranormal experience. Not just the demonic one, but I mean pretty much anyone that I've applied it to. Now the way that we've I've applied this model and the people that I've been researched with is we've collected data accounts from people. And we've broken these down into um, constituent phases and stuff. And I've been writing about this. I've written – there are a couple of articles that are coming out, magazine called Five of Swords. Um, and I've been publishing these articles about it. And are so this we, is kind of a culmination. Now, are we yeah. – I was going to say, are we able to distribute that literature? I know I've put it out on Twitter. It I is can... – uh, yeah, it's a free PDF whenever it comes out. I'll link it on through my uh, – social media on it and i'll link it to you so you can link it out through yours if you want to the I'll next one's gonna in be the comments yeah i'll put it in the description as well so next one will be coming out on i think 
the first of January, if I'm aware, and it'll have part of this stuff in it as well. I mean, both of those articles are like two thousand words, something. This is not that. So this is this is kind of a um, an amalgamation of that information, kind of presented with uh, try trying to kind of sum it all up. <laughs> I see you, Tom. I had to do. Shot. You know what happens is like I, <laughs> and this is the thing. I like when Dave talks, so I don't want to interrupt him like as much as as much as I can avoid it. I try to avoid it, but we have to do the shot at the beginning of the show, and I totally forgot because I was so excited to get Dave rocking and rolling on this. So I had to sneak the shot while he was talking, and I put myself on camera just so that nobody would nobody would be like, "Hey, you guys didn't do the shot at the beginning of the show." Fuck it, we're we're ready to go though. <laughs> you got to do your rituals. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so. I made a PowerPoint presentation for this because I needed something to keep myself on track, right? Both of us. And, we are uh, both guilty Yeah, I of, mean, uh, clearly. <laughs> the My inability. Is... We're already 24 minutes into 25 minutes into since I started the actualizing. Oh. So. No, like three three minutes in. So go ahead, okay. Dave. So I guess a non-mystical methodology for modeling the paranormal experience. The idea behind this is this is this, this does not include the supernatural, Okay. Um, so if you want to put any of these slides up, then this one. Okay, so what we're talking about here is <laughs> this sounds crazy, but bear with me. Nested pseudospaces. Okay. Now, a nested pseudospace is this. There, there's close your eyes and imagine a box, right? Now the the space quote-unquote, that that box is in is a nested pseudospace, right? Because it's not actually a space. It's not actually space. It's not distance between the edges of that box that you're imagining. But it is like space in that you're imagining that there's distance in between the edges of those boxes, right? Now, so to talk about this type of not space, we need to talk about what is actually space, so this first slide is talking about in space, noumenal space. Now this is about, we're talking about Kantian stuff here, but most of Kantian shit I will throw in the toilet. But I'm going to use this metaphor of the noumenal space and the phenomenal space, right? So in this first slide, we have the noumenal space. And this is talking about actual real space, right? We're talking about atoms, molecules, electrons, these things that are interactive, right? Right, and and do Your me a brain. favor, Dave. Uh, uh, not for the not for the people at home, because actually, like these, a lot of these cats are like really well read, and they they actually have a better vocabulary than I do. Um, but for guys like me, who are functionally, uh, I don't want to use the word retarded, but yeah, I'm retarded. Gonna, I'm, don't use the word retarded. No. <laughs> uh, but I want to say like I don't have the same the same vocabulary that you have, and so some of these words that you use are uh, right. a little bit um, above my uh, they're way above my head. I'll be I'll be honest. There are some words that I just don't understand. So if you could, uh, for some of the words that uh, specifically aren't uh, common terminology, maybe just throw out a quick little brief definition just so that I'm on the right page as you because I want to okay. sometimes I get lost when we have our conversations and I just don't have the heart to ask you what so is the word uh, blah 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 I mean noumenal I guess specifically if we're talking about noumenal this is the word that can't uses this is 
Kantian terminology to talk about objective objects, right? And your brain, right? Now, on the next slide, we talk about phenomenal space, right? So the difference between the noumena and the phenomena of an object is the noumena of an object is like the amount of atoms that are in it, right? The phenomena of an object is what color is it, right? Because color doesn't happen until light bounces off that object, hits your eyeball, goes through your nervous system, hits your brain, and then is interpreted as whatever color it is, right? So here we have two different types, noumena, phenomena. What we're talking about now is phenomenal space, right? So as this slide shows, phenomenal space is represented in this visual as the little gray circle around and surrounded by noumenal space, right? And this is not a real space. I'm not suggesting, right? I'm suggesting that this is, it just acts like space, right? Now you can go to the next slide if you need to. Now in this pseudo space, right? This is constructed by your brain and your brain is a chemical engine and other areas of your physiology probably construct this as well. And within this space, chemical information like um, all the specific neurobiological functions are converted into an interactive context, right? Now, when you think about anger, right, your experience of anger isn't an experience of a chemical, right? Your experience of anger is thoughts, it's emotions, it's a whole experience. Right, so the difference between the actual my anger is an experience. All right, I get angry, yeah. man. It or is an experience, or anything really. Like, you, like imagine again the box, right? <laughs> imagine again the box. So when you're imagining the box, the chemicals in your brain and the neurons firing in your brain that are directly associated with your imagining that box are not in the shape of a box. They're not a box, right? So. There's a step between there, and this is what I'm talking about, is that phenomenal space, not only that, like not only the box, now pan out. Look around the room. Look at everything you're looking at. All that is a phenomenal space, right? This is a hallucinatory um, control scheme that your brain is producing all around you. So the box is nested in another phenomenal space right so just in this one visualization we're already looking at two different nested p spaces right and on and on and on as you imagine right think into your memory right think into your mind remember things predict things do imaginary stuff in your head these are all phenomenal spaces they're not they're, and they're so they're pseudo spaces they're not actually space but they act like space right right and so these are constructed by these mechanisms which occur in your psychology. And so the mechanisms that we're talking about – now, I got to stress that I'm not talking – I'm not – we're not talking about accuracy of a – from a neurobiological standpoint, right? This is a model that's meant to just give us a way to sort of interact on this level, right? So now that we're talking about this pseudo space – we're having to talk about the the mechanics of this pseudospace, the laws of this pseudospace, right? Now, since this pseudospace is created from derivative information, information that comes from space, right? It acts like space. So the mechanics, right, of this space are going to be 
sympathetic to the mechanics of real space, right? And this is only because, not not because it has to be, but because this is how it is created from our brain, right? So our brain learns from data and produces a hallucination. And this hallucination we're calling in this model P-space. All right, we can go to the next. Yeah. So I feel I'm like so, I've, I feel like I beat I, that dead I horse. Hate to like, I hate to like interject, sound like an idiot. I am so confused. Okay. I, I'm so like I'm. That's why <laughs> I said okay. Let's take it earlier to like here. to like dumb it down and use like simpler yeah. words. But I'm kind of like uh, lost at what we're even talking about, and and yeah. at, the, at the at the risk of sounding like a complete moron, I I don't I don't really okay. I don't think I'm grasping it. Layman's terms, like brother. Okay. So, look at pick an object on your desk, right? Something simple. What is it? It's a little Star Wars guy. Okay, a little Star Wars guy. So that little Star Wars guy is made of plastic, right? That's yeah. the noumena, right? A bunch of molecules, a bunch of chains of plastic polymer molecules, and they're all stacked together in a shape, right? It's a glob of molecules. That's what it really is. Now, the phenomena, the phenomenal aspects of that little Star Wars guy, they don't exist in that clump of molecules. In order for the phenomenal aspects to exist, they exist in your mind. So those aspects are the color, right? The fact that it's from Star Wars, the fact that it's a guy, right? All these other details, they are encoded in it informationally, right? But they don't exist as a clump of polymer molecules, right? So we're talking about two sort of essentially different universes here, right? Oh, in, oh, okay. Right? I think I'm picking up what you're putting down now. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I understand it as opposed so, to like, yeah. the v, physical. Yeah. I was going to say, don't feel bad. He he and I talk about this all the time, and I, I, it's so difficult. Like, I've talked to him about it a number of times, and he's tried to explain this to me. And I it's get, not complicated. I get the gist I'm just crazy. Of it. I ramble about it. Well, I get I get the gist of it, but then like there are times you add more to it, and I'm like, oh goodness! <laughs> like I, I'm still on like baby formula yeah, here. Because uh, for a second I was like, what, dude? Okay. Is, what? But it, but it does like once you once you kind of start to figure it out, yeah. it makes all sorts of sense. And like you use so, a lot yeah, of good yeah. like parables for me, like uh, our talk about viruses and stuff. And mm -hmm. and this is funny because Dave the other day, uh, we mm -hmm. in the first in the first episode with Dave. He talked about the Ars Goetia and the uh, the Lesser Keys of Solomon and that, right, and that yeah. um, uh, at great length. And you know, I was like, you know, I need to get my hands on that. I had the digital copy, and then I finally committed to buying the physical copy. And it uh, it came in the mail the other day, and I sent a picture to Dave, and very excitedly, like, "Hey, do you recognize this book? I feel like uh, this is something that you might be interested in." He's like, "Oh, it's the motherfucking Ars Goetia," <laughs> but then he's like, immediately after, he's like, "Don't read it." Don't touch it. No. Like, get away from it. I didn't it. say that. <laughs> I said the opposite of that. <laughs> he's a, he's a, and then he explained kind of like what he's doing, what he's talking about today. He kind of, we had a talk about it as it applies to that. And I, and I hope we kind of get into that a little bit later. I didn't want to jump ahead, but I did want to, I wanted to tell that story Absolutely. because it was so funny to me how uh, you were like, oh, by the way, if you read that, you're fucking mm -hmm. done, Tom. You're, it's over <laughs> for you. Like, <laughs> no. So so there's a reason why I'm talking about these two separate universes, quote unquote, right now, right? Now, I'm not 
suggesting again that the phenomenal universe is a separate real universe right it is a, a it's derivative right but it is a reality like we can agree that it is, yeah, it is a reality it exists so, so the terminology that i use to make this easy is the noumenal space is real right phenomenal space exists noumenal space exists and is real right but phenomenal space just exists right, right? and so that's the way i talk about it at least the physicality of it. I think I'm grasping it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's easy for me to understand as like the noumenal is like the physicality of it, whereas yeah. the phenomenal is like the psychology. No. Now, if you were to now if you were to <laughs> grab that toy and you were to describe to me the texture, is that noumenal or phenomenal? Right? I would say noumenal. No, that's phenomenal because again, it's coming it. from it's coming it's from the sensory <laughs> organs of your hands, right? Yeah, okay. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, One hundred percent of your experience is phenomenal. You exist in the middle of a nested phenomenal space. A hundred percent of your experience is a virtual hallucination, like the fucking Matrix created by your brain. Okay. Right. Now this isn't this isn't science fiction or anything. This is clearly we exist in this ha hallucination that is made by our brains, and that's the, our experience of reality. Because right, right, from right. what I've read, actually, because I was reading into biocentrism and stuff like that, but that's mm -hmm. a whole other mess and a whole other topic. Um, but like everything that exists around us looks nothing, looks, feels, smells, whatever, nothing like it what doesn't, we no, Nothing that exists around us looks or feels or smells without something there to look, look at it, feel at it, or smell it, right? And that's unique to our physiology. We're talking about eyes, touch, and scent, right? Right. So like and another another organism that uses uh, that that picks up particles from the air during inhalation, right? It may not experience things in the same way that scent is, right? So like we experience very unique universes, each one of us, right? And so these phenomenal universes, this P space, this is what I'm talking <clears throat> about, right? Because this P space is created out of information, right? That information comes from your body, and then your brain uses it to build your experience of reality around you, right? And it builds your experience ar around you based on a culturally accepted narrative. Now, you're trained from childhood, from the first time you open your eyes, right, to make judgments about the information that you perceive from your senses but on one hand you make judgments by yourself but on the other hand you're informed by other people around you right because a lot of things you can't tell just by looking at shit so you ask people and they're like oh yeah and so this becomes the cultural building point where you are simultaneously building your reality based on your own personal experiences and based on this culturally accepted narrative. So these are two different narratives, two different stories, right? And they intersect. Can you give you an are... example of a like a culturally accepted? Uh... Oh yeah, definitely. Just, yeah, just... God created the universe is a culturally accepted narrative by Christians. So you are raised from a child if you're raised in a Christian household to believe that God created the universe, right? And you accept that to be true, right? So your 
so the, the version of reality that your brain is constructing includes the information God created the universe, right? Now, God created the universe isn't a piece of information that exists in a vacuum. No piece of information exists in a vacuum, right? So that's where we go to um, – we can start moving on to this other slide here and talk about mechanisms, right? So none of these pieces of information exist in a vacuum. They all interact with one another, and that's the interesting thing, right? If I see a picture of a girl, right, and then I see a, another that, – that picture gets put into my mind somehow as chemical, electric, bio, uh, neurobiology, right? But then if I see another picture of that girl, right, and this picture totally changes my perception of her, right, then somehow that neurobiology impacts the other chemicals and it changes the way that the other picture – and it changes the way I perceived that other picture, right? So somehow this picture, this thought object is interacting with another thought object. And they're just information, right? And they're just chemicals, right? It's, it's, so these chemical systems interacting with the brain, there's definite neurobiology occurring. But at the same time, there are psychodynamics occurring, right? And so the psychodynamics are your experience of the chemical reaction that is causing those thoughts to change, right? Correct. And so – I'm calling these mechanisms, and these mechanisms build your experience, and there's sh shitloads of them. And the ones I'm specifically talking about are three of them. And because I'm presuming, I'm not, I'm not talking about awareness of self and awareness of body, really, in this model. This is basically just you're aware that you have a body, you're aware that you are a you, right? And those are really like, these have been studied in immense detail by people way more qualified than I am. What I'm talking about now is three of them that are specific to this model, that are specifically important to this model. Sphere of awareness, awareness of network, and interactivity with networked entities, right? So so what are these? I, I keep forgetting that you can hear me on the, uh, the Skype, and then I mute myself on the thing, so uh, I'm not like breathing in the microphone at people while you're talking and then they're like oh what the fuck i couldn't hear dave over tom's nasally <laughs> breathing his okay nose so whistle. No. Breathing a... yeah okay, pretty much, much. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll go I'll, I'll talk about each of them in turn go to the next slide i will talk about the first one which is sphere which is your sphere of awareness right so your sphere of awareness this oh, is like uh, i see now yeah, that so... it's, it's right there <laughs> <laughs> it was in front of me the whole time. Now I feel like yeah. So this Go is ahead. your personal bubble. This, but this is not. This is not just your your inner sphere of awareness. This is your whole experience of reality. This is basically like the game world that you're playing in, right? Your sphere of awareness is the hallucinatory projection that we're talking about, and at the center of it, quote unquote, because it's not a perfect sphere because it's not actual geometry. This is pseudo geometry, right? It's like a sphere. Right. It's like the grid on Tron. Yeah, <laughs> right? And at the center of it is your self. And the bounds of this aren't limited. When it, says, when it talks here in the slide by saying the bounds of SOA are not limited to the bounds of in-space-derived sensory information. What we're talking about here is that you could close your eyes and imagine that you're in a park somewhere. 
and your sphere of awareness will shift dramatically, right? You'll still have your sphere of awareness, but you'll have a nested sphere of awareness that is in another location that may not even exist, that you're totally simulating. You know what's kind of weird and, and kind of along, along the lines with this? And, like, uh, the way you keep saying a nested uh, a nested awareness and like a, like a thing within a thing. So like I had a, I had a dream and I know it's stupid to talk about dreams, but like I, I no, had dreams dream. are important. That's what we're talking about here. Okay. Well then good. Then I guess we're on the right track. I guess I was yeah, listening yeah. then. <laughs> like you, are. Uh, you didn't even know it. So <laughs> the, <laughs> no, I'm just, again, I, I, I preface this whole conversation with the understanding that I'm not very bright and I have a hard time keeping up with you. Um, I had a dream one time that let me actually kick it to my screen because I like I talk with my hands a lot. Um, but I had a dream one time where I was I'm very claustrophobic. So in this dream, I was in a room, and like I had a panic attack in this room, and it was because I was in a room that was locked inside of a warehouse inside of this city or whatever it was inside mm. of a world that was inside of my. And then I realized it was one of those. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a lucid dream in that like mm-hmm. i could i could do stuff within my dream but i was aware that i was dreaming and then i realized wow. i'm like i'm in a dream inside my head and like i got so claustrophobic i woke up in a cold sweat wow. and i was like panicking so like when you talk about a nested um nested pseudo space right is that kind well, of okay so i got news for you you are in a tiny little box Right, <laughs> in a giant. This is this is your life, man. You had a. This is that was your meta. Your dream was so meta that you were like dreaming that you were dreaming that you're dreaming, and here you are dreaming. Deception. You, know you were in a dream within a dream within a dream. Yeah. Orlando Bloom running by in the background on the ceiling and shit. <laughs> was that like, Orlando Bloom? Was he even in that movie, Dave? You know, I don't know. It was Orlando Jones. Orlando Jones. I don't think that's you know, right. I think I've watched that movie. I, I feel like I've watched Inception one time. Or twice. Maybe twice. It was definitely the seven up guy. You're no. thinking of no the make seven, seven up, up guys. Yours, guys? Yeah. I used to have that, that shirt. I miss it. Ben, Orlando. Man, the fact that I remember any the anything about that movie is a miracle. The fact that I remember anything about anything is a miracle. <laughs> Well, go ahead. We're, we're talking about nested realities, Dave. Don't don't, don't put me back in that <laughs> box. Let's Where talk are we? about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me out of my box. <laughs> okay, so that's what we're talking about here, man. Give me the red pill. Yeah. Now, next slide here. We're talking about awareness of network. Now, awareness of network is interesting because this is where you're applying self to other things that penetrate your sphere of awareness, right? So. When you see another person, that person is an an object in space, in numinal space, that has penetrated your sphere of awareness. And so you create a hallucinatory version of that person in P-space, right? And based on the interactive characteristics that that object has, they will be personified, right? So if... A dog penetrates your sphere of awareness. Dogs have a high amount of interactivity. So they are personified, and we talk to them like they're people most of the time. If a, uh, if, if, a if a rock 
penetrates your sphere of awareness, it has a low degree of interactivity. Can so we, we talk about how much you're using the word penetrate? <laughs> I like it. We Man. just we actually just lost no our PG thirteen rating. We're now if at an R if rating. A, if a <laughs> clown penetrate your sphere of awareness well, let's talk if more about my sphere penetrate of... your... yeah your sphere getting penetrated by a dog there are a lot of things that can penetrate your sphere of awareness buddy Let me tell you. i think dave is hitting on you i think that's what's happening here i'd be honored the point is, is, that, is that the more, the more interactive characteristics they have the the higher chance you are to personify them so what we're talking about here is we're going to add uh so this is uh awareness of network right so you're aware that these are a thing that can be interacted with so the more interactive they seem the more likely they are to be personified right so that rock you're not going to personify it but if i draw a face on that rock you have a higher chance of personifying it and you're still not going to actually be convinced it's a person but the effect is noticeable even just by drawing a face on a rock right so we do this to any object that enters. You like that better? Does that not make you uncomfortable? <laughs> that Should comes say, inside. Anything that, anything that <laughs> comes inside your <laughs> sphere. Anything that enters. Anything that stuck. <laughs> it was pretty good, part. too, I have to admit. Okay. <laughs> anything, that, anything that moves into this sphere of awareness gets this treatment. Um, we're gonna, So next slide. We'll talk about the interactivity with networked entities so this is when you start this is performatively this is talking to things right so this is when you start communicating gesturing talking this is when you do this with things that have a high enough level of interactivity but to be honest it doesn't even have to be that high because we talk to inanimate objects all the fucking time right like we talk to anything that looks like we could talk to it or that interacts with us in any way like this is a thing that people do we just we just talk to inanimate objects and these three mechanisms in this model represent that right and so right. with so with these three together what we're talking about is anything that penetrates Ooh. the <laughs> <laughs> anything that penetrates the sphere of awareness right will become personified and will present the capacity for interaction now, so like, next. just so, I just wanted to be clear on this. Go ahead. Um, what we're talking about here is um, is like uh, inanimate objects that you can make out to be like humans, I guess, or like um, or humans that enter your. The reason that you think a human is a human is because you're applying your sense of self to this other object, right? Because right. Yeah, and so yeah, and so you're being sympathetic, right? And so this is this is the whole transference, man, right? <laughs> it's, it's a big deal. But we're only humans because someone told me that, that we were humans. Yeah. I mean, it's a big deal that we do that to ourselves and then we not only to ourselves but to basically anything else that we see, right? Based on how interactive it appears. Right. And clearly it doesn't matter if we don't know it's interactive because I talk to my fuck people talk to their fucking machinery all the time. You know what I'm saying? We know I that actually cannot hear us. I read something the other day about a guy who bumped into a mannequin 
And then mm-hmm. he said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were a person. And then he realized he was still talking to a mannequin, like, because he thought it was a person. <laughs> you <laughs> so. see, so... I mean, when yeah. I talk, so, so the point is, is that these are unconscious mechanisms. We don't do this shit on purpose. This is how our cognition operates while our brain is building this hallucinatory experience around us, right? And to make it easier, we get these prompts to interact with other things. Now, it's really important that we engage other things that penetrate our sphere of awareness, <laughs> right? Because those things can want to kill us. They can want to eat what us. Do you, what do you mean by, like, props to interact with? Like, can you elaborate on that? Prompts, right? Like, you want, like, you, you see a face, it feels like a personish thing, right? And we want to see faces. We construct faces, a periiote, right? So we construct faces out of random patterns. Right. Because identifying interactive features is part of that step awareness of network. Is that like when someone finds like a like a Jesus's face in their toast? Absolutely. It's it's Jesus in in my toast. It's something interactive. That's That's G Wiz. Yeah, because pattern recognition is how your shit works, yo. Top down (laughs) pattern recognition. Right, and so this is just that. See, now that's the vernacular that I can get behind. Okay, all right, all right. It's just so, ebonics for the whole thing. I'm not <laughs> I'm even not able to I'm grasp even, oh, It basically okay. has to sound like a rap video for V to be able to keep up with it. For me, yeah. it has to sound yeah, like a Baby Einstein's uh, episode. E- <laughs> exactly. Hopeless. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so let's go to the slide no, about the next slide. Next slide, yeah. Okay, so psychogenic slash esoteric objects in peace space. That's a mouthful, right? But this, the whole thing has been a mouthful and penetrating and et cetera, et cetera. Right? <laughs> Innuendo alert. <laughs> so this is what I've been talking about this whole time, though, is that peace space is built of information. And so we're gonna, when we talk about this information, we're talking about esoteric objects, right? So I'm going to use the term esoteric object to refer to a bunch of information that is contextualized in peace space. By contextualized, I mean it's all connected to each other, right? The cup. What's a cup for? A cup's for drinking. The cup's made of what? The cup's made of metal. The cup's what color, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All this information is contextualized around the concept of the cup, which is an in-space object, right? So you have this in-space object, and then you have this cluster of peace space information that creates a P-space object around, right? And that P-space object is what we are actually interacting with until our meaty, meaty bits touch the metal bits of the cup, right? (laughs) Meaty bits. (laughs) Yeah. But what we're actually, so the control interface creates an esoteric object that to us is is a stand-in for the metal bits of the cup, right? And all the information that surrounds that object, now picture a cup in your mind. You're creating an esoteric object without a numinal space object to base it off. There's no cup in front of you, maybe. Maybe there is. Maybe it's full of alcohol. But the point is, is that if you're imagining this imaginary cup, there doesn't have to be a cup in front of you. So this is an esoteric object in that it only exists within the self, right? 
Correct. And it is created out of contextualized information. Right? And so when an object enters your sphere of awareness, you start applying these mechanisms to it. Interactivity, right? And even if that object doesn't have a numinal space um, attribution to it, right? So even if there's not an actual cup there, you create a virtual cup with information based on an actual cup, right? So and so I, this is an esoteric object. In my P-space here, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm imagining, right? What yeah. does the world look like without human uh, uh, input, right? Or, or a reception. So like, well, like I, for whatever reason, I imagine like a white, like all white or gray, it does, it's colorless, right? Because it's no color for, or we're not seeing it or whatever. And then like, you're just stumbling around and then all of a sudden you come across and I'm thinking of a cup, right? Because you're talking about cups. But you stumble across and you find this cup and you feel it and then all of a sudden you've got like it's almost like a cartoon where it's just that white nothingness and then all of a sudden you come <laughs> up and then you've got a cup in your hand and you're like mm -hmm. oh so like is that what the world looks like or is that what the world is i forgot to change the so the world is like a white nothingness <laughs> yeah. until you come across whatever it is I... that you're on or that you're at so the best way that we have discovered to actually objectively talk about our world is mathematically right because Yuck. we can break it down into a single yeah, length, length. yeah so we could use math to talk about the numinal universe all we fucking want all day and all night but math doesn't translate over into experience if i give you the mathematical formulas associated with the fucking physical characteristics of a cup you would still have to create a virtual object in your mind using that information right and you still have to imagine that cup if you wanted to experience a cup from it right so just the numinal part doesn't create experience experience is all in the mind made of these esoteric objects right and they're only and we interact with them like we share stuff right like for instance in our, our physiology works similarly enough and our cultural narratives are close enough that we experience most things coherently with one another right if we look at a cup our physiology is similarly similar enough that we're going to pick up the same phenomenal characteristics of that cup we're going to see the same color we're going to see the same you know it, it, all these kinds of things, right? We're gonna feel the same textures. So, do you, gonna... think, do you think? Um, do you think uh, that like we as human beings are like inclined, <clears throat> or just beings in general are like inclined to like automatically think like, for example, like I don't know, and this may be off topic, but for some reason, every single time you mention cup. I keep thinking about the two girls, one cup. <laughs> like, for some reason, it's like it just every time you say cup, that keeps popping in my head. Do you think that's Dude, like listen, a, um, 
Is I that like an not, inclination? <laughs> I, I, am, I am not a scientist. I, and I am not a psychiatrist. <laughs> and I damn sure I'm not going to psychoanalyze why you think about scat porn videos every time I say the word cup, which is perfectly innocuous compared to all the other shit that we've said. In this. <laughs> was, is that scat porn? I thought scat porn was when they like are actually, you know, they're doing the deed on someone. Simulated. They were like eating it in the in the. I mean, it I still counts. I think it still counts because the the actual is like scat Nor am I a is a verb, or... but it's also a noun. So oh, okay. I see. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> this is not my job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. Um, but the so as far as like, like I said, I'm not trying to treat people. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a. I'm not a scientist. This is a model that I use to work with the paranormal experience, right? So now we're right. getting into how this applies. So an object in P space can exist without a thing in real space to directly associate it with, right? And so now you can go to the next slide. This is where, so this is why it took 10 slides to get to this one acronym that is useful to me right now. Phenomenal space derivative entities, PSDE, right? So what is a demon in my opinion? What is a spirit in my opinion? What is a ghost in my opinion? What is God in my opinion? A PSDE, a phenomenal space derivative entity, right? So the dog is a noumenal space derivative entity. The cup, a numinal space derivative object. If you drew a mouth on it and you started talking to it, you consider it an entity if it talked back, right? So the point is, but they have numinal components. They have a real thing. You are a numinal space derivative entity because you got a body. You got meaty bits. A thing without meaty bits that is still a thing is a phenomenal space derivative entity. But what right? if I'm inside a, my numinal in, – what if I'm in my P space? You know how, like, you can kind of... So if like, you if you imagine yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, so then you're, you're creating a... I would still... I would call this a phenomenal space derivative entity. And I would get into this further talking about the hybridization of your awareness of yourself and virtual selves that you create. Talking about lucid dreaming and astral projection. But God. the point is, is that, is that entities that you create in your imaginary space are phenomenal space derivative entities and, and and things that you don't create that like walked up on you like a guy walked up on you in the room and you looked at him and you were like what's up and clearly you're creating a hallucinogenic version of him right but the ones that you imagine the ones that aren't attached to a guy walking around or a dog or a duck or whatever these are the ones that PSDE. And so this is the important one because this is what I'm thinking that these things are is I think that this is an information and a contextualized objectified information system, right? Now, how how does this apply? Like I have a I have an example on the next slide, right, of what I call a narrative trigger event. And so this is so I'm I, this is an example of one possible. Now, the way these things work, the, the way that this model is meant to be flexible, right? This isn't a hard 
causality chain of events type thing. These things happen over time. It creates a critical mass. It reaches, reaches a threshold when enough of these mechanisms have been put into place, right? So an example here is that a person hears a noise. So you're in a house, right? And you hear a noise. And then you turn around and you see a ghostly figure, right? So yeah. the source of the noise and the source of the shadow were in space phenomenon, right? So the door, the actual wood of the door that slammed, the actual thing that was blocking the objects, these were things that were real, right? But the peace space part of that was your experience of the sound and your experience of seeing the shadow. Both of those together become a PSDE. How does this happen? It is constructed via these mechanisms, right? And articulated through the accepted cultural okay. narrative that we already talked about. So where this lies is you're in a house. Someone told you this house is haunted or you're already getting information within your sphere of awareness, which keep in mind is you're getting information from, even if you're, it, it's an unconscious, it's a, it's a conscious, it's a subconscious type of information absorption and all of this simultaneously. So as you're walking through a place, if you believe in haunted houses because you accept the existence of ghosts and stuff, if the narrative, if you've accepted, okay, this place could be haunted, it's definitely spooky. The information environment that I am creating around myself is one that can contain ghosts as I culturally accept them, right? And so then when you hear this noise and when you see this set and when you see this shadow, right, these things are interpreted, right? That experience is built by your brain in this phenomenal space out of these esoteric objects that you have around you, right? So you turn around and you may see a ghost because what you are experiencing is an esoteric object that has been personified via the same mechanisms that personify yourself and other people that you talk to, right? And so this experience is so real because it's part of the fundamental operative framework of your cognition, right? So when people are like, I know what the fuck I saw, right? I saw a person, right? It was a person clear as day. I can't fucking, I know what the fuck I saw. You have to realize that what you are seeing always is a hallucinogenic <laughs> construction, right? And so what this model is hoping to do is to talk about these hallucinogenic constructions, not as though they are nothing, because they're clearly not nothing, right? They have impact people's behavior, mental health. They can trigger placebo and nocebo effects. The idea is to talk about them like they are objects that have characteristics that can be quantified and qualified and tracked as they move, you know, as, as people engage them, right? And so I'm not suggesting that a ghost is a thing in this instance, right? I'm suggesting that the paranormal experience is a combination of culture, personal, and, and your personal experiences, right? And cognitive artifacts that while your brain is creating the hallucination of your experience. <clears throat> and now saying it like this seems in a lot of ways to be, um, to some people, to be downplaying it, to be saying that, 
um, oh, you're just fucking hallucinating. You know, you're just, it's all in your head, man. But dude, everything is all in your head, man. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, the way you just put that, because uh, based on everything that you just said, uh, it leads me to believe that like anything can, will. I mean, as a writer, I, personally, I'm a writer. So mm-hmm. as a writer, I feel like you can just create anything. You can. And, like, that like, you literally, like what you're essentially saying is you literally can you can, right? But the point is, is that you don't have 100% control because you yourself are an artifact of these same processes, right? You're in the machine, man. In order to operate the machine, you have to have a model for the way the machine operates, right? And this is kind of stuff that we've been talking about, but this isn't, I didn't, right. you know, this is Chaos Magic 102 probably, right? Is talking about the way that the esoteric environment operates. But specifically, this model is talking about tracking interactive objects within this space right because specifically the way that this these articles were written was about in the context of demonology right so let's let's give another example of a narrative trigger event i've got a whole summoning circle set up right that is exactly correct according to my culturally accepted narrative on how to summon demons i know all the characteristics about this demon. I know what he likes. I know what color he is. I know all this stuff about him, right? I have all this smoke in the room and I use all these effects to produce this total atmosphere, right? And I know as an as a Satanist, right? As a modern Satanist, I know that I'm not conjuring supernatural entities. What I am doing is creating an esoteric machine based on information right about this demonic entity and then i am creating this esoteric machine in phenomenal space and then i'm interacting with it because it is interactive it has a program that it runs when i ask it questions it gives you answers based on its personality right now the the degree with which these things are interactive i call articulation which is kind of a gradient of magnitude right because some people can just kind of talk to this imaginary thing in their head and it's not an extremely impactful experience but some people will straight up fucking see shit you know and this really these this really kind of depends on the person right there are a lot of things that contribute to a person's superstitious level their willingness to dissociate or their need to dissociate right so there's a lot of things that can lead up to um having a more or less intense experience right but, uh, I mean, so the idea is, is that these phenomenal space derivative entities are interactive because they have a script. And the more complicated the script, the more interactive they are, right? So ghosts are they – have, they have a script that's based on a human, that's based on a person, right? Now, this, so, so these ghosts are relatively complicated, but at the same time, right, they have – so they have a lot of activities, behaviors. They walk up and down stairs. They walk up in a hallway. They knock on – doors and stuff they they look at people they do things and all of the stuff that they do aside from moving stuff around which i've never experienced telekinesis or anything a person to person so i have to withhold judgment on whether or not it actually exists even but of the other stuff they do this is these are phenomenal this is phenomenal information right like you don't have to actually have a person walking down the hallway for you to hear see smell feel all of the stuff a person walking down the hallway. There doesn't actually have to be a person walking down the hallway for you to experience that, right? And so in the context of demonology, 
we are creating esoteric machinery to help us with things, right? So, Dave, I got a question And in the context of... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> the, how does this all jive with uh, people who collect, say, um, you know, paranormal investigators who collect evidence, like an EVP, uh, um, not necessarily the EMF, the, the K2, not, not that stuff. Even I guess even that stuff a little bit, okay. too. But also, oh, like, photographs so, of... Um, uh, so the stuff that can't be debunked necessarily right off the bat. That's I just wanted to throw it all out there. So no, no, I got you. I got you. Day with it. I got you. So that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good question. An EVP, uh, right? And also photography, right? These things, right? This is a different type of information transfer than our eyes are for instance or our ears are for instance so at the so on the one hand they're not even like a camera is close to gleaning the same type of information that your eyes do but not with the same type of apparatus whatsoever uh, an audio recorder in your you know your tape recorder it's still like your ears right it's an object and then you play this recording thing back and then you interpret a voice out of it, right? So what I'm saying is an EVP is no different than hearing that sound because you still, once you play it back from your machine, have to then interpret it phenomenally. The picture is no different from seeing it because you are then interpreting it phenomenally, right? There is no point at which you can examine evidence that you do not interpret it through the bias of your phenomenal landscape. So does it from person to person uh, with like, I don't want to say group hysteria, but like the, the collective, what's, what's the term for that? I know you know it. Uh, the term for like when. You're just saying cultural. Um... What I'm saying is, and I'm not, see, I'm saying that, that think about it like this, man, these things. So let's go to the next slide for a second, because I think that the next slide is going to talk about, and this is the last one here, right? This is psychodramatic feedback loops, okay? So once so once you see a PSD, once you have encountered this entity, once you've seen a ghost, right? Your life has changed, right? Everyone you've ever talked to who's had a, who's had a paranormal experience, their life has changed pretty much, right? They've been like, oh. and Or it's changed their behavior, right? I don't think I've talked to anyone who has not at least had a behavioral change based on after their paranormal experience. Well, yeah, because at right. a certain point you're like, well, then at that point you're kind of a believer. It's depending on the level of it or you're like, well, mm -hmm. maybe varying degrees of belief in the paranormal. And so these entities create feedback loops and they initiate feedback loops specifically. So I'm saying, what's the difference between just, ooh, spooky ghost and demon and spirit, right? What's the difference between hallucinating Bob, who died last year, right? And having a, a paranormal experience that is interactive and meaningful and changes your life and is continuous, right? Because we're not just talking about people who get spooked by ghosts. We're talking about people who see the same demon over and over and over again for fucking years, right? And have consistent interactions with these entities. So once articulated, PSEs initiate a series of psychodramatic ritual feedback loops. I call these PDR 
right? It says PDRT0, PDR type 0 is the first one. Gratitude or blame, right? So we are creating associations between the PSDE and objects or conditions, right? So like, um, for instance, we're saying, man, that demon gave me a headache. Or thank you, God, for the food I am eating, right? Or um, mm. thank you, sun god, for rising again, right? <laughs> well, we that's are making raw, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. man. We're making associations between an entity <laughs> that only exists in our mind and an object or condition that happens in the real world that we fucking need and is important or that we fucking hate and want to avoid, right? And so the significance here is that now – these things, our minds are considering these esoteric objects to be as important as real objects because we have made associations to them, either gratitude or blame. So psychodramatic ritual type zero is when we start assigning gratitude or blame to spiritual entities. When we start – or like when we start being thankful to God, just be thankful to God or when we start – you know, and these are the – this is the ground zero. Because this is where it starts. Because if you think you're haunted, you're going to start blaming shit on the ghost, right? And that's when we start <laughs> – that's when it develops into a poltergeist, right? Because now the ghost is mischievous because you're blaming it on him. So the intensity of the entity increases. The articulation of the entity increases, right? So now we start going into PDR T1, -T right? So this is gnosis. So the next thing you do once you think your house is haunted by a poltergeist, you whip out the fucking Ouija board, right, son? Right, so this is Gnosis. <laughs> Request for information from or about the PSDE, which will then inform behavior, omens, prayers, mediumships, right? So now that you're convinced that this thing is real, that this esoteric object has real implications, now you're asking it for information because you think it has – now this information that you get from it it's not knowledge-based information because it's not coming from the real world. It's narratively charged information because it's coming from an entity that has a script, right? So then, so the, inf the, the information that you get in PDRT1 will only reinforce the characteristics of the entity. So pray to God for guidance will only ever give you answers that are God-approved. Right, because if you start praying to God for guidance and he starts telling you shit like, yeah, man, you should have like all the sinful, like you should like totally be sinful as fuck, man. Like you should like, like you fuck should all let the these. Then uh, you're like, you should then you're let like, them whoa. penetrate your sphere. Then you're like, <laughs> whoa, man, that doesn't sound like right. the God of the Bible. Right. So what I'm saying is, is that once you start asking it for information, it's going to give you information that reinforces its own articulation. And so usually it's going to tell you to – we go to the next step, PDRT2, which is idols. This is the idols phase. This is when you start writing accounts or scriptures, creating tools, totems, temples. And these transmit narratively charged information, right? And it propagates the psychodramatic entity. So F, as an example, the Ars Goetia that you have, this is a book that has in it – it has in it all the narrative information <laughs> of 72 of these psycho of, of these phenomenal space derivative entities, right? That, that, that then as you read about them, that information will construct this entity in your mind, 
once the entity, once the potential for this entity is in your mind, things will layer upon themselves. Now, as from a, a from a personal standpoint, that's interesting, right? Each person is inclined to superstition or inclined to believe these things at a personal rate, right? You'd have to know a person to know how inclined they are to start um, layering on these feedback loops, right? Because some people will just be like, you know, and then they don't let these systems create themselves. They don't, they, they just kind of dismiss it, right? Or they focus on other things. Some I think that's have, interesting. I think that's why I've never experienced any paranormal thing is that's how I am. Well, I, I mean, and a skeptical <laughs> mind, like I say, a skeptical mindset will easily break the feedback loop right at PTRT zero, right? Because you're never going to thank a thing for something it didn't do, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, because, I, because you're a skeptical. Right now, we take for granted the concept of skepticism because this is a modern conceptual like ideology, right? This uh, uh, methodology to be skeptical of your environment and to use scientific reasoning, right? We take we take that for granted, <laughs> right? That's a modern yeah, I totally agree. thing. So the fact that you can break this feedback loop right at PTRT zero, that's a modern sort of thing, right? But a, what if you don't want to? What if you want to build an entity? What if you want to build an esoteric machine that will entertain you or help you in some way, right? Because these things, they don't produce knowledge-based information, but they do permutate information that you give them. So you can give them information and it'll bounce around in them and it'll come back out to you in a way that while predictable, you didn't necessarily expect or do yourself. You know? I feel like if I did that, I'd end up with like multiple personalities or something. Yeah, I mean, here's <laughs> the idea, though. So, so Where do you think that whole thing comes from? Now, let me ask you this: right. Can you? Uh, okay, I got. It's a two-parter. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So babies, right? Babies, dogs, cats. Um, I don't know whether what, what yes. other. I'm sure other animals, right? Noisy, uh, poopy objects. Um, well, yeah, sort of. Um, I guess that applies, but that's not what I'm where I was going with it. But these these types of individuals, who's eating dinner while we're like, who's so like, who's so bored that they're eating dinner? V, is that you? <laughs> no. Nah. Are you just sitting there eating a, a sandwich or eating a steak or something? Oh, it's soup. I'm having soup. Oh, okay. Oh, this Dave character. I'm fucking. I'm so tired of listening to him drone on about pea space. I'm gonna eat soup. What a dick. What a dick thing to say. Babe. So no. Uh, so, so no, no, no. Uh, so babies, dogs, cats, kids, even. Um, you know, they tend to be more. Uh, they see things right i mean they see things that aren't there they and especially they have like their imaginary uh friends and stuff like that not so yeah. much dogs and cats uh, i don't know if they do or not i don't know enough about the the dog the the animal kingdom psyche uh but they, they have these and sometimes you think like babies and kids and stuff and i've always had a theory that kids and babies see things see ghosts and spirits and what what have you because they are not conditioned to not believe in those sort of things and as we grow up people tell us well no such thing as monsters uh, mm -hmm. And and you just get rid of it. So that that was part of my the, my second part of my question. But is are these? Do you start out at like P two or even like an unknown P three as a kid or even a dog or a baby or whatever? Think about it. Think about it like you're building a castle, 
right? And as a baby, you're just starting the foundations of this castle. So it could look like anything you want it to look like, right? But once you're an adult, you're already up to the tops of the towers. And the way your castle looks is pretty fucking fixed. But it's not permanent because you can still blow away your walls and build new sections of your castle and ultimately change what I would call the esoteric architecture of your experience producing mechanisms, right? So behind the scenes are the things that produce your experience, your beliefs, right? And this is your, your your culturally accepted narrative and your personally accepted narrative and these build the castle of your experience. And as a kid, you're doing a lot of building, right? And if you, if you think about it from the standpoint of like, again, I'm not a fucking scientist or anything, but if you think about it from the standpoint of like evolutionary psychology, right? Like, which again is kind of bullshit, but you know, it's convenient for what we're talking about that, you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're an evolving hominid and you're young and you're trying to identify threats and helpful things. So it, it behooves you, right? It, you, 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 you pass on your genetics better if you are better at identifying threats and helpful things and interacting with your environment and the interactive objects in your environment. So it makes sense for children to be hyper articulating their environments at all times in order for you know, to help to, to, to facilitate survival, right? And situational awareness, because you would rather freak out at monsters that aren't there and also freak out at a monster that is there rather than never freak out at anything and die. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like hyper articulation mm. is a result of these things. And so when you, so talking about fear, Right. If you are scared in a house that seems haunted, you're more likely to experience paranormal phenomena. Right. Because you're in your environment is now in a state of fear. And so you're hyper articulating objects within that environment and looking for threats. You're hyper articulating the details of these objects so you can assess their characteristics so you can determine whether or not it's a threat or not. Right. So the higher your fear, right the um, the uh, it, 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 the more likely you are to create a ex- an extremely believable uh you know PSD right so that's why if you look that's why demons specifically are interesting and easy to study because written into the narrative of demons is a whole bunch of fear and another reason they're easy to study is because written into the narratives of demons were they were responsible for illnesses, right? And we could test that. And it turns out they're not responsible for, for illnesses, right? Well, yeah, and because so, you just have to drill the head and then release you let oh, the yeah. out. That's it. Clearly, no. I mean, well, once, once we got into germ theory and started talking about, like, much modern medical science cut up. That, is that what good. they used to do? Is that what they did back in the day? They drilled Trepanate. you in the head to get... Yeah, tra- yeah, really. Like I mean, hey, it works. Stuff like that. You let out the blood, bloodletting, blood yeah, with all the nastiness in it, and then you drill the hole in but, the. Head. That was one of the th- like they used to have the. And I the think turn it's also crank, uh, thing screw into your head well, to let the, the demons right. out. I think it's also a misconception that that every illness was de- demonic in nature. I don't think that's the case. I think that a lot of like specifically 
virus related ones, things that were really difficult to detect, right? Um, a causality for yeah, mental illnesses like, and stuff. If the doctor couldn't solve the problem, it's so much easier to be like, you know, where they're like, well, That's my true. brother is still sick. He's still coughing up yes. blood. Like, what's going on, doc? And then he's like, oh, it's a yeah. fucking demon, clearly. You got a demon. <laughs> but now we know it's not a demon. And so that's a good data point there. Because even though we know that illness isn't caused by demons, when we interact with esoteric machines constructed on the blueprints of ancient demons, it contains and creates nocebo effects connected to illnesses, right? So when you believe this is a demon of disease, you get sick a little bit, right? Sometimes there's a good chance of it if you actually genuinely believe it, right? So these, this data is encoded in the demons, because, not because the demons are actually responsible for disease, but because the people who wrote the book thought they were. And that is the trick. That's that's what shows that their narrative construction is what leads into their characteristics, that they are derivative of the information that we write down about them and that we transmit about them to one another. Right. Is because and that's why demons are the one to study, because demons are associated with the scariest shit. So we're talking about hyper articulation. Demons are associated with disease, which we know for a fact isn't true. So there's a data point that we can look at. Right. Um, demons are supposed to give you all sorts of fantastical shit, which you could test these with demonic invocations and you could find out that they don't. But at the same time, right, you will begin to connect synchronicities. So you could say, OK, I'm going to summon this demon and he's going to give me riches. Right. But what is that if we look at it, our psychodramatic ritual types? Right. Oh, I'm going to walk around and prime myself into psychodramatic ritual type zero. Oh my gosh, I got some riches. Or I have just inevitably come across something in the course of the spread. Right? Boom. Psychodramatic <laughs> ritual type zero. Right? And now yeah, I guess that what it comes down to is what the demon's definition is of riches, huh? And that is and that's what is contained within the narratively charged information, which is like the DNA of the entity. Now, so you worship this demon. This demon gives you stuff. You say, oh, demon, you gave me stuff. That's badass. What do you want me to give you in return? And we usually create art. We go down to type two. We create – we write down stuff. We make books. We make poems. We write rituals. We create art in these demons' names, which then transmits the executive information about them into other people's phenomenal environment like a virus. The DNA of these entities is transmitted via our behavior. Because these entities are existent within the context of our cognition, right? It's their – the platform of their organization is our mind, right? And they hijack our behavior via these feedback loops to reproduce themselves. Our it's like getting an STD from them, huh? Yeah. Uh, that, that's what Dave said to me the other day. He said that uh, demons were like a, the – the, the book you said it was it was like a virus is what you told me it's was a sport the term you used. yeah well i mean because think about it like this your body how long will you last how far will you travel oh, gosh, across probably, a temporal object oh man like a couple more years probably yeah right yeah, yeah. right right so you're like a you say so you are moving your experience is moving across a temporal object the past present the future it's all happened already right 
So think about the time you spend in reality as the length of an object, right? Your specific, right? That's how much time you're spending on this temporal object. Because you're made of meaty bits, you don't last very long because you're squishy. You're a sack of fluids. <laughs> now, squishy. the hard, you're a cell. You're a bunch of cells. Now, the hard body of a virus is made of proteins and shit, right? The hard body of a demon is made of paper or wood or metal or stone. What is the hard body of God made of? Temples, right? And 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 thousands and billions and trillions and trillions and trillions of pages with ink all over them, right? So the hard body of God is this massive inescapable mass. The hard body of demons, slightly smaller, right? But it's still the magnitude of these entities, it's that's the same, right? Now, how long will they last though? How long will a pendant, like a stone statue of a demon, how long will that last? How how much how long far across the temporal object will that move? And I can tell you that I've been to the Louvre and I've seen stone statues of demons that are 10,000 years old, right? So the hard body of this demon lasts so much further, it, it, it tracks so much farther across the temporal object that it's ridiculous. And along its way, it encounters humans with the psycholinguistic virus of consciousness. And in this psycholinguistic environment, it then propagates and it impacts people's behavior. And then these people create, they go through these three specific. Now, there are more feedback loops. I think eventually this cycle ultimately, if taken to its extreme, ultimately always culminates in violence, right? And philosophically, the definition of violence being the removal of choice from other people, right? I think ultimately all this, these psychodramatic feedback loops, these entities devolve into violence. But I don't think it's inevitable because I think that, as we have seen, you can break these feedback loops and you can break the predatory aspects of these feedback loops just by injecting information into these cycles that is contradictory or neutralizing. So, Dave, I need you to um, – did, did we cover – we got everything on the, on the lecture series, correct? Yeah, that's all the, wanna, that's I, the slides. All right, listen. Come clean right now, gosh darn it. Are demons real? Are they invisible flying monsters, or what? What's the deal? Give give us an answer Dude, immediately. <laughs> I have been I have been trying to answer that question since I was thirteen years old, right? And what I could come up with is that demons are not real like a rock is real, right? But demons and other uh, these entities exist right they exist it's an order of organization that hijacks our cognition right and i would hesitate to say that they are alive or real or organisms right but they're definitely systems right and they definitely impact the behavior of organisms that's a um that's a really good argument as a skeptic i i'm like immediately go well none of that is you know it's all poppycock or whatever but the argument that you Language. placed uh, yeah yeah sorry sorry mm -hmm. <laughs> but the argument that you placed before me is it's more i'm more inclined to believe it just because i understand our concept of reality and like 
our way of creating things and like multiple realities and how just yeah. like you've explained before how you just make something in your mind and then that is a reality essentially mm -hmm. and like if that's the case then like anything that is like i said before as a writer mm -hmm. anything that i create in my mind becomes a reality and now that that like object or personage or whatever it is that like i've created that's become a thing like i don't know for example like say i write a story and i create some new cryptid mm -hmm. you know that that the you know the movie goes to the movies and all these people see it and it's like a new like the slenderman for yes, example the slenderman like the, is a good example yeah it wasn't a thing until it was a thing <laughs> and yeah. now all of a sudden it's a thing <laughs> but now think about it so what happens is the magnitude of this psde increases via the viral spread of this information the creation of these new narratives and then it, it played exactly down the lines of these psychodramatic ritual types right and even ultimately devolved into violence with children yeah. stabbing each other in the fucking yeah mouth, yeah right? we talked about that we had an episode we talked about that we it's actually talked like... about it with dave as a matter of fact he well he briefly dave? talked about it oh. we talked about the um about the Slenderman being a, an example of yeah. a group. That, that, that was the thing that I was trying to remember the name of it. But yeah, the, the how it becomes a thing because we let it become a thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and also I think that putting it like that puts onus on us that we don't deserve because let it become a thing is we unconsciously produce this phenomenon. This is a part of the fundamental experience of our existence. Like, you your personality is created in the same way and you don't have the option to just unpersonality yourself right like you don't have the option right so if you believe something if it checks those fucking boxes right now not even that but like think about placebo and nocebo effects if you think about those as being measurable right and that's why we look at them but other things aren't so quantifiable but are clearly part of this um, fucking chain of events, right? Like the behavior. People who go through these processes and then start, you know, why are you painting this picture of an angel? Well, because God told me to. Or why are you doing this? Why are you strapping your kid down to a bed and splashing him with water and starving him for days and screaming at him and beating him with this Bible? Well, because there's a demon inside of him, right? So – these feedback loops create these events and then all these events do is serve to propagate the information into other people, into other information environments, right? When you encounter an exorcism, it doesn't actually cast a demon out of anybody, right? How many people have been cured of, of – how many people have gone to an exorcism? And had the demons cast out of them and then never had a recurrence or a relapse ever again. It's uh, probably super rare. Tom? Yeah, I don't know. No, I don't know. Like the, that's one of those questions like how many animals have yeah. we not discovered? You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a question that I don't – Most – I mean that's true. That's I get fair. it. I, I get what you're saying. That, yeah, it's a, it's a rarity and I but know that's a recurring at, thing. People yeah. come back and have to have – repeated exorcisms and it's not a, a one-time deal it's a do they have like a like a do they have like a, a stamp card where they get 10 all right this time we got topless priests <laughs> <laughs> no, so so like, Dave, do you feel cheated 
that uh, you know you've spent all this time summoning demons and uh, you know you've you've done all these rituals and it turns out it's all just a bunch of of a uh, no. uh, 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 malarkey or whatever. Language, language. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would disagree with that entirely. I okay, no, that's what I'm trying to get. I'm, I'm, I, I want to get a little bit deeper. What I'm looking for, you know, in a, so in from a okay, from a theistic perspective, this requires a belief in the supernatural that God created the universe or something, right? That there are invisible monsters flying around. That there is a kind of a space time situation they have to pass through. That they have mass and energy and all these types of unexplainable things. When in in this model, these entities are everywhere, right? The ones that we're specifically looking at are only the ones that are hyper-articulated with very identifiable narratives, right? That specifically cause highly qualifiable behavior. So they're easy to track. Demons are, are easy to track. The other entities, they're super hard to track. And this is our society. It's everywhere, man. Why are people the way they are? What are these trends? Why are these? What are the strange headless gods that are worshipped by the population that we don't know are gods because we're not god making anymore? Now we still make these invisible systems, but the narratives that we produce about them are no longer personified, right? We no longer create gods that act like people. Now we create gods that act like hyper evolve hyper efficient versions of whatever kind of concept they're aiming for which is usually money let's not be wrong let's talk about corporations are corporations right. gods i mean yeah a corporation could do anything that a god can do right a corporation has powers that they could change your fucking life the coca-cola corporation they'll send assassins to your shit and kill you you know that you know because <laughs> I, mean? like, I drink pepsi no, they're fuck all your shit up at my door is pepsi okay <laughs> Yeah. Hey, so I have a question. I have a question for Dave Outlandish. Um, after all the the rigmarole that we just went through, I I'm curious as to what is the goal of your research. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, I am building esoteric machinery, and in order for this esoteric machinery to work, I need to be able to track esoteric objects and I need to be able to interact with them in executive ways like I need to be able to be like okay this is a demon in this person's experience I've identified it now I need to be able to change its behavior right because in the short term this could help us this could help create e ther self therapeutic programs for people who feel like they're under stress and harassment from spiritual entities, people who are like I'm demonically possessed, like people who feel like they're you know, it could help it could help people come to terms with traumatic um paranormal experiences that are potentially impacting their behavior in antisocial ways because they're like, oh man, it seems so real. Of course it does. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the only thing you ever experience yeah. is a right. faux reality, right? right? And also, here's a test. If it were an angel, you shouldn't be able to impact its behavior. 
But if you can do these, if you can, if you can break these feedback loop cycles and impact its behavior, then uh, maybe it's not a cosmic, all-powerful deity. So right. remember it, the first time we talked, Dave, and I'm going to call you out. The first time we talked, I have to point at the camera to make sure that it's. No, no, the first time we talked, I, you said, I'm not such and such or something or other. And I said, oh, so you're not trying to develop the string theory of the paranormal. I'm and that's, it sounds like that's exactly what you're okay, trying to do. Okay, hold on. Yes, it sounds like what it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the idea is, is that I need to track these things. And I need to be able to make changes to them. Right? Because if I can do that, then I can that I can impact the biggest PSDE of them all, right? I can throw a rock at God and I can make him flinch, right? Because if that is the case, if, 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 if the theory is true and that these entities are the cognitive artifacts that I think they are and that we could input information into their system which will impact their behavior, then I should be able to create an esoteric machine that I can input into the minds of other people that will throw a rocket god and make him flinch. So there was a there was a picture V, and I know I sent it to you at one point of a guy, and it's this is what got you to turn me on to, to Bronson that movie because there was the guy who like fought somebody, and then the cops arrested him, and then he fought the cops, and then when he was in the jail, he fought the jailer or something, or he fought the executioner or something, and yeah. then he dies and he's in heaven and he fights God. <laughs> So that's what Dave's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's trying well, to like fight a, God. Okay. That's daughter, awesome. I'm on board. My daughter's being raised as a Jehovah's Witness, and I feel like she needs all the artillery that she. I'm making a knife for her because if she needs to be able to pick it up and stab that motherfucker when she's a grown up, she needs to be able. <laughs> she's, you know what I mean? Like I'm just saying that I, I'm not gonna. I can't force this stuff upon i'm not proselytizing to her you know what i'm saying but i'm saying that when i am i am building a weapon that plays so you're basically his... like the, uh, you're like the evil villain in a cartoon you're like building a laser cannon that you're going to aim at god and i mean ultimately but seriously here so in my <laughs> so from in this it's like you have to you can't just build one you have to create the blueprints so that when someone looks at the blueprints, it automatically builds the, the the cannon in their mind, and then automatically aims it at God, and automatically shoots him. Right. Mm. Well, essentially, that's what you have to do. You have to so you have to build build esoteric machinery that does all this stuff step by step. Like you have to all these psychodramatic feedback loops and more. Right. Like so, what I'm designing here, this model is one model in many different models, part of an entire experimental process, based on a theory that I had tripping on mushrooms, probably as. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> what I Dave, what happens if you find God and you can't throw? What What happens if you uncover God? And you find that you can't do these things that you're trying to do. What does that do to your belief? I mean, does that shake your belief? Does that? Uh... No, this is an again, again, the positive or the negative. Like, like if I could throw a rocket god and he flinches, this is a positive data point as far as my theory goes. If he doesn't, it's a negative data point as far as my theory goes. But it doesn't shake 
a theory. It's a positive or negative data point as far as a theory is concerned, right? And then once you're done experimenting, you take all the positive or negative data points, right? And you look at it all. So, you know, it's one... And it also that kind of would make it easier, to be honest. Let's let's be honest. That would make it easier. So it's harder. Dave, are you? It's it's harder to throw a rocket god if he if he don't reel, right? If God don't reel, it's way harder (laughs) to throw a rock at him. If God 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 don't reel, I could throw. It'd be easier. All I'm saying. Dave, are you the Antichrist? You have to answer that legally. Yeah, we need to know for sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Doesn't the Bible say there will be multiple antichrists? No, there's uh, the antichrist, the false prophet, and then there's uh, Satan. Because uh, there's, there's the, the, the trilogy. No, 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 no. What about the dude lighting the bong in the background of the meme? Oh, that's right. you, right? What about that guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, All right, I have Dave. You, man. All right, Dave. Uh it was awesome having you on here. I don't. I don't want to kick you off, but I have to. I mean, there's no, always going to be more episodes, but it's already. You know, it's one a.m. here. Yeah. People are trying Million to. O'clock. People are trying to put their kids to bed. I assume at one o'clock in the morning. But um, no, <laughs> I have to take a whiz. Honestly, that's all it is. Is I have to take a whiz. And, <laughs> and we've been and we've been going for we've been marathoning like so, an hour and a, hour and a half. Okay. And, so basically, uh, I, I all I want to say is, if you watch this, if you understood the model. If you want to understand the model more, contact me. If you want to help, if you want to help me develop this, just apply this model to the paranormal events that you've experienced or that people you know have experienced or that you've read about or listened to. Every time you're watching a ghost show or something, apply this model, this methodology to it and think about it. That, that is will help me more than anything. Is that a, a, a nominal that's space of, or is that that's P space? Clearly, P space. <laughs> we've been waiting for this joke P space. the entire time. No, you know what? So there's, Tom, a dude, there's a dude who was on Twitter this whole time, and he's been making P space jokes this whole time, and uh, I've been oh, retweeting him, up. so you'll be he able knows. to see him. Um, what yeah, I've done here. Is uh, yes, it's it's a peace space. I, I do have to make a peace space. <laughs> I, have to go, I have to go put the seat down and take a peace space, as Dustin would do. Um, what I've done is on the screen right now. You'll see uh, there's just the title of his his lecture, Dave's lecture. Uh, he's on Instagram, Dave Outlandish, and uh, I don't know. Do you use your Twitter? I know you have no. one. Okay, then never mind. Everyone ah. disregard the Twitter. <laughs> Uh, go on Instagram and, and I'm here, I'm, I'm helping bring about the end of the world. Like we were joking about this the other day, Dave and I were, um, that, uh, you know, I, I'm just here trying to make dick and fart jokes. And then I give, I give Dave a platform as often as I can, as often as he's willing to come on the show, which is, uh, far more often than I think he should, because he's better than the show and he's, he's much better. I said somebody earlier that he was slumming it, uh, yeah. by coming on the show, but uh, I give him a, I give him a platform as often as we can, and uh, and so I'm in in part helping bring about the end of the world here. I mean, but you can you go to know, his... you guys realize I'm a raving fucking lunatic, right? Like you guys are <laughs> we're in on, <laughs> That's what we love about. <laughs> on this joke, right? Well, well, it's it's funny because uh, you know you, you fit you fit in in certain aspects but at the same time you're like way smarter than we are especially on a lot of these things and you use a lot of really big words 
So like you you <laughs> make us look especially game. like you create this dichotomy right between the between yeah, us but the and funny, you. The, um, the funniest thing about that is that Tom and I are constantly telling each other how smart we are, and we're so smart, dude. And then you get on here, and we're like, man, we're such idiots, what? dude. dude I <laughs> super poorly educated, man. But go to but right, go to his Instagram and check it out. It's Dave Outlandish. You can go on there. Are you still doing your six sixty six or six dollars and sixty six cents deal for sigils and signs and, and magic? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Art for you art. Can, oh, for art. Okay, yeah. Sixty six cents, yeah, and you, then you know. Yeah, I am. Okay. And I do cartomancy too, <laughs> which is not telling the future, but you know, I like looking at cards. Everybody likes pictures of playing cards. So you can do I that. I like the ones with the Hit them, them up and uh yeah, and bug them about that uh bug them bug them on Instagram. That's what I do. Um yeah. but at the same time uh, a, a gentleman asked earlier, uh, Ryan asked if if you thought uh before we let you go if you think Dogman and Bigfoot are actually demons. I think we talked a little bit about this last time you were on the show with uh Matt Squatch and I think that kind of fits in and correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of fits into this whole narrative uh you can actually apply Dogman and and Bigfoot into this um this mm-hmm. model, correct? Yeah, you could. I mean, if you like th- the model kind of it starts with a skeptical assumption that there are not invisible spirit monsters or giant ape men, right? And that there requires the evidence to prove that there is. So it starts from the skeptical perspective that there's not, right? So if you start from the skeptical perspective that there's not and that you look for, you know, and that, and you only accept evidence that is, is really significant, like like you're not, you know... You don't accept an imprint on the ground as evidence of a culture of Bigfoots, right? I mean, it is evidence, don't get me wrong, but it's not conclusive enough to say, yes, but what about the casting, right? There's clearly an army of Bigfoots out there because there are footprints on the ground. There are a lot of things that could cause these footprints, and there are a lot of things, right? And belief that there are Bigfoots, right, can cause the articulation of PSDEs that are shaped like Bigfoots and act like Bigfoots and have all the phenomenal characteristics of Bigfoots. So if you go into an investigation of Bigfoots, believing in Bigfoots, you might create these false Bigfoots, right? And then finding an imprint on the ground that looks like a big human step, right? Might be then interpreted as definitely the footprint of a Bigfoot. I'm not saying that there aren't Bigfoots out there, and I'm not saying that you should discard evidence. What I'm saying is that you can't go into the situation believing in Bigfoots because you may end up hallucinating these, you know, entities that act exactly like Bigfeets and creating an experience wherein Bigfeets exist, right? So if you want to be objective and investigative, you have to, you really have to purposefully disbelieve in things and this is the idea behind skepticism so like i think if you look at all the events from a skeptical perspective you can fit most of all the stuff and i'm not saying there's not anomalous stuff out there because they is b okay the objective universe is a crazy fucking place it's way weirder than we realize we don't understand shit yeah. okay you know what Heisenberg i'm not saying said that, that either he said the universe not only is the universe stranger than we understand, it's stranger than we can understand. All I'm saying is the multiverse is a crazy fucking place. 
and we already know that it's a mold this is a multi-dimensional fucking nonsense you know hyper temporal whatever the fuck right like shit happens outside of our fields of awareness for sure for sure and we can't say it doesn't because we know for a fucking fact it does how high are you right now dave <laughs> i'm like at a regular level of highness i guess you know, we used to give percentages. I used to get high with this dude, and we used to give percentages based on how high you are. Like you what you, what percentage would you? You can never leave. I'm just tired. I wake up at like four in the morning. <laughs> you can never leave, Dave. You can never. <laughs> I'm just trying to induce paranoia. <laughs> induction, dude. No, an induction of 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 psychodramatic states, man. That's what it's all about. And right, that's how you influence people's behavior anyway, i'll ramble am on I, until am, I, am i a virus right now am i a, a ptsd or God, your personality no. is <laughs> yeah no no i mean I you're think a p-space bro i think there's a lot of research that suggests that your consciousness is a psycholinguistic virus yeah right on all right folks at home we'll see you next time Are you interested in advertising on You Had Me at Bigfoot? Oh, hell no! Reach out to us at contact at youhadmeatbigfoot.com. <laughs>